This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Did you realize that transportation is really involved in everything we touch or are involved in on a daily basis, whether it's going to work or taking the kids to school or the delivery of that cup of coffee you had this morning? And not only that, but transportation is also constantly changing. The construction that is going on and the new technology included, amongst other changes as well. Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Edward Humes looks at this very unique world in the book Door to Door, The Magnificent, Maddening, Mysterious World of Transportation. Edward, thank you for coming on the show today. It's a pleasure, Dan. Thank you. Where did the idea for the book come from? I think it was the maddening part of that. <laughs> you just uh, maybe I, should I, I, maybe should I have asked which highway were you on when this idea came about? <laughs> uh, I think I was just dreading being on the highway. You know, I I uh, started looking into what it takes to keep my own family and household going, and uh, it really isn't just the the commute that we all dread. That's the least of it. There's millions of miles embedded in our daily lives. You mentioned the coffee. The cup of coffee I'm holding in my hand right now took 30,000 miles to reach me, and that's just for the beans, not the cup or the water or the filter or any of the other parts of the the coffee drinking process. And if you look at anything in your home, you're going to see a footprint that big or even bigger. Yeah, and so this is a book that that's not just about our highways and our railroad systems. This is about, in some respects, the business of transportation on a variety of different fronts. It is. It's the business, and, and it's the human side of it. I mean, who's, there's a cast of thousands behind that cup of coffee as well, the people at the port, the truckers who pick it up at the port, the people who maintain the highway that the truckers drive on. Uh, and and the drivers on that highway that are financing that uh, roadbed and on and on and on. It's a chain of interconnectivity that really is reaching a, a crossroads because in some ways we can't afford to maintain what we have, and yet the technology is evolving, changing, growing, and making more demands on what we have. You bring up an interesting point there, and we're uh, talking with uh, Edward Humes, who is the book author of the book Door to Door, The Magnificent, Maddening, Mysterious World of Transportation, uh, is the fact that uh, the technology is developing, yet there are so many issues in the transportation end of it, the construction end of it, the supply chain end of everything. I mean, this has almost become, even though the government has kind of pushed it off to some respects, it has become, it has to be a 24-7, 365 process. Oh, oh yeah. Well, one of the, one of the people I uh, write about in the book was the head of UPS in the Los Angeles area. Now, there's a company that moves over 15 million uh, deliveries to our doorsteps every day. I mean, yep. they're, they're the leader in the delivery space, right? And he, he's tearing his hair out. That Noel Massey, amazing guy. But every time traffic delays the average UPS route a minute, that minute costs the company twelve and a half million dollars. <laughs> and they're and they're adding minutes all the time. And, and yep. the hidden cost of e-commerce. You click on buy it now, you think, hey, this is convenient. 
my, Amazon's going to deliver me a package by, by tomorrow or maybe the same day. And yeah. what none of us really get is that we're creating a truck trip every time we do that, and it's accelerating. It's making more traffic. Uh, e-commerce is the hidden uh, contributor towards traffic jams, and, and we're so in love with it, but we're not really in love with paying for uh, expanding the capacity of our, our system to handle those trucks. But it does bring up the, the technology aspect of it, taking the example of package delivery, in that at some point we will most likely have drones doing part of this delivery process. Yeah, you know, I I just don't see a future where little drones are are flying to our doorstep. Uh, really, uh, but yeah. I I do know that the delivery companies around the world are lusting after drones, but not little ones, big ones, forty seven yeah. size drones. That's where they see unmanned aircraft as the next uh, disruption and uh, and provider of efficiency, lower cost, obviously, because they're eliminating humans and uh, and also more safety. Let's talk about the highways for a second, because you're out there in California, and you write actually at the outset of the book uh, about the issues of the 405 freeway out there. Uh, you know, we're here in Philadelphia. We have some of the same type of issues with I-95 running through here, and and all the construction that has been done here in the Northeast Corridor. What is it about the the, the 405 freeway that? And obviously, the volume is is a big part of it. But what is it about it that that still to this day is is a maddening piece to you? It, it's an example of a larger phenomenon. The four hundred five. Elon Musk has the commute on it. He calls it soul killing. You know, and a lot of drivers uh, say the traffic that number four hundred five stands for the four or five mile an hour average speed that you travel on it during peak hour. It really is like that too. This is a road where. A billion four was spent to add a lane onto a 10-mile stretch, a critical portion of this very busy and important freeway. The idea was to ease congestion. Yeah. After it was completed, traffic was worse. Because when you add lanes, what you really are is just inviting more cars to come to the party. Adding capacity without changing driving behavior, without providing some kind of incentive or disincentive to drive at peak times, uh, doesn't work. We it's gotten proven over and over again around the country. And the, the cool part about this four or five freeway was this event called Carmageddon, when they had to close down that same ten mile stretch for a period of fifty three hours in order to uh, knock down some bridges so they could add that lane. During that fifty three hours, traffic throughout Los Angeles got better. <laughs> we <laughs> took away lanes and congestion ease because people change their behavior. When you can get people to drive different or not drive or drive at different times, that's how you improve traffic without adding lanes. So it does that's the secret sauce. So it does really start with the people that are involved in this process on a day to day basis. Yes. Half the half the cars on the road at rush hour, half of them aren't driving to work. They're they're elective trips for something other than job related, which means if you can get people to defer those trips to do them earlier or later, and there are ways to do that, we can eliminate traffic without a single bulldozer blade.
We're talking with uh, Edward Humes. His book is Door to Door, The Magnificent, Maddening, Mysterious World of Transportation. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. The, the, piece you, the, the piece that you kind of alluded to uh, a few moments ago is the fact that with some changes in belief, in structure, in, in philosophy, companies, people, a variety of different things could save massive amounts of money that, that really could affect the economy in a variety of different ways. Oh, absolutely. Well, just as, as increased traffic congestion is a cost, taking it away creates savings. Uh, we lose about $160 billion hit to the economy in 2015 just from traffic delays and congestion and the wasted fuel that that causes. So, yeah, there's a huge payoff. And uh, one, one idea is that you could have major employers in uh, a, a metropolitan area like Los Angeles or many others where the uh, em- employers, public and private sector, cooperate and stagger starting times for their workforce. It could be a voluntary program or maybe there could be tax incentives to encourage it. But the effect of that would be to have... Uh, commuters entering the, uh, the, the the driving space at, at different times rather than all at the peak hour, peak rush hour times. And that could, even if 10% of the commuting population in a large city defers by half an hour their commute, it could reduce congestion uh, almost magically. So then I guess, I guess in some respects you would be a proponent of uh, of the work from home philosophy, if if you you know if you if somebody could work from home a day a week or two days a week, that eliminates some of the problem along the way. Oh, it, enormously! It would be because uh, carpooling isn't working. We're seeing declining amounts yeah. of people carpooling uh, over the years. So that would be an alternative. The other thing that other cities around the world, like London, have have demonstrated successfully is congestion pricing, and you could replace the gasoline tax, eliminate it. It's, not, it's a regressive tax, and replace it with a uh, congestion pricing. It's a toll that goes up at rush hour and down at off-peak hours, just like we price electricity. And that, too, has been highly successful because it eliminates that 50% of, of rush hour drivers who don't really need to be there. How, how will data hopefully improve this in the, in the years to come? Well, on a personal level, it's it's already improving. There's traffic apps, crowdsourcing ones like Waze yep. that allow uh, that amass data in real time and allow you to change the way you go places and avoid traffic. Then uh, that's that's been highly effective. And of course, companies with large fleets are using their own proprietary systems, FedEx and UPS, to do do the same thing. So so data on the you know, on the personal level, it has free apps, for goodness sake. Who would have thought of such a thing could could make uh, driving more uh, uh, more efficient for us? But it's that, that certainly has been having a big impact. And I think it'll it'll change as we go along here, because with uh, uh, with more baby boomers heading into retirement and unfortunately, you know, passing on, the more millennials are are the ones that will adopt the ways and and, and some of the other apps as well, making it a little bit uh, a little bit easier. Oh yeah, and and of course the 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 rise of the smartphone has also empowered ride sharing, which is is a huge disruptor. And when you combine that with the evolving technology of driverless vehicles, that's a new paradigm for 
how we use and deploy cars and whether or not we even want to own them in the future. We may just buy car time like we buy phone minutes uh, when, once, once the uh, driverless technology is mature. What about the aspects of the rail industry and, and their impact in this whole process? Well, the U.S. is, is schizophrenic on rail. We, we lead the world in our ability to move goods by rail, but we, we are woefully behind uh, in our ability to move people on, on rail. We've, uh, we've invested massively in the one and, and uh, taken away investment in the other. So uh, it depends on that. If you, if you want to look at an effective rail system, America's freight rail is, is pretty much the one you want to look, seek out and copy. And if you want to look at uh, poor choices on our, our 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 passenger traffic, then you could also look at what we've how we've allowed our rail capacity to to decay, particularly in the Northeast corridor where you're where you're at, where I grew up. Yeah, and and and, and is in desperate need in a lot of cases of, of quite a bit of change, whether that be on the on the freight end of things or on the personal travel end of things. Oh, yeah. Well, there's infrastructure in that corridor that dates back practically to the Civil War. <laughs> Tunnels that are 100 years old. And, yeah. and we just, uh, we, it's just one of many areas where we, we have, have lost the, uh, the ability to maintain what we have. So, there's a $3.6 trillion backlog in repairs to our transportation infrastructure. It's enormous. So then who are the people that, that have the best opportunity to make the changes necessary? Washington is one avenue of this. How effective they can be you know, is, is about a 50-50 proposition. Uh, that would lead me to believe that, that also uh, there are a lot of great minds out there that are coming up with ideas that have the opportunity to really make some impactful changes here in the years to come. Absolutely, but it's it, we can't be governed by old thinking. A lot of the investments that we're making, and, and they're incredibly expensive ones, like adding lanes to freeways like the 405, really aren't achieving what we want to achieve, which is to make traffic move better, to be more efficient. So we need to rethink what we're investing in. And it's not all about the ribbon-cutting moments. So, <laughs> some of the things are much simpler uh, um, and yet could have a much higher payoff. Eight four eight four four nine four two seven eight six six is the number to give us a call. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We're talking with uh, Edward Humes, who is the author of the book Door to Door: The Magnificent, Maddening, Mysterious World of Transportation. What are some of the some of the development processes, though, that you see going forward uh, in terms of transportation in the in the years to come? Well, there. I mean, they're across the board. We're, we're continually seeing a, a larger container ships bringing goods to our ports, and uh, in, in one sense, that's welcome because it's a bigger efficiency, it creates jobs. I mean, you see, I spent a lot of time at the port watching these amazing vessels come in, and it, it is really a, a they're a, a man-made wonder. But on the other hand, when you have ships arriving that carry enough goods to stock a you know, ten Walmart superstores yeah. all at once coming off on trucks. Where are those trucks going to go? There's no room on the roads for them. It's, it's like a tidal wave every time one of these big ships hits the shore and, and creates huge concerns for uh, smog, for traffic. And, and so we have to find, if, if we're going to have this kind of outsourced goods economy continue, we need to 
to create the right infrastructure to, to handle it. Well, and, and, and the other piece to it is the fact that so many of these companies, and some of them which you mentioned, are making changes and, and realize that, that change needs to be made to this whole process. Yet there are still a lot of companies that, that probably are, are living in the old world and saying, in some respects, it, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, <laughs> not understanding that it is broken and it needs to be fixed. Well, you know, there's something like 60,000 bridges and just to name one yeah. category that need repair around the country. Yeah. One of them went out on a major freeway out here in California, the I-10, major goods corridor freeway. Every day that washed out little bridge, a little tiny bridge washed out on a storm, if it had been maintained properly, it wouldn't have washed out. Every day that was closed, it cost the trucking and goods movement industry $2.5 million. That's just one bridge out of 60000 And you, yeah. can, so you can see what allowing our infrastructure to decay can do to the economy. Uh, has a massive risk that, that just grows. Same with the George Washington Bridge here on the East Coast. It, it, it's, it's the same type of issue. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, well, and anywhere you look, you're going to find it in every state and in every, in every city. It's a struggle. You know, we've had two, in the last century, you've had two big, infrastructure investments in this country. There was the uh, Franklin Roosevelt era where all the great uh, public works that we still rely on, the Hoover Dam and uh, the Golden Gate Bridge and so forth, were, were erected, all parts of the transportation infrastructure. And then there was the interstate highway construction under the Eisenhower administration. If you take away those uh, two big building booms and investments by the government, uh, huge investments, uh, the U.S. is invested much less in terms of its its uh, gross domestic product in transportation than almost any other developed nation in the world. And we're not keeping up. It is interesting, though, when you think about something, as you, as you alluded to before, uh, the, the push for driverless cars uh, and, uh, you know, a couple other avenues of, of the technology in this industry is that these companies like like Apple and Google that are that are trying to bring this this technology forward really are at the at the at the edge of a of a major tipping point yet in some respects they still battle old conventional wisdom from the 1950s and 60s I, well and that's the problem is whenever you try to integrate Something, something new and disruptive in a in a system that really, I mean, our, the, the car is, is is a fancied up version of the that we drive today of of what was invented a hundred years ago. So trying to integrate those, that's that's really the difficult part. You know, once you get the get all you know a, a majority of of let's say driverless vehicles on the road, then then things get easy. But it's that early mix that is proving problematic. What do you think is is kind of the right mix then uh, of of what needs to happen for our highways and our delivery system and and you know I mean it's a, it's such a a massive project but there are there are pieces of it that are probably more easy to implement than than others. Well, I think there's there's three things that could happen in the next twenty years that would be uh, would be optimal. I mean, I spent time driving around in the Google car, and I I, I got to tell you. I'm convinced that that technology, once it's mature, would save I mean, tens of thousands of lives every year, create mm -hmm. enormous efficiencies. But well, the idea of 
of car ownership as and human drivers uh, in those cars is something that's going to go away. Yeah, uh, it's going to be like the horse. It's going to driving is going to be recreation. It's not going to be what we depend upon. It's going to happen in the goods movement sector first, because the the trucking companies are chomping at the bit. But we have to prepare for the negative impact of that, which is uh, an important source of employment. I mean, if we if we can't forsake the people who who are at the heart of our goods movement. Uh, industry now who, who whose jobs would be at risk with driverless technology. So that's one challenge. The next one is to use that technology not just to have a million cars on the road shuttling people around, but solving the problem of uh, of getting people to take the train and other yeah. big pieces of measurements because it can solve that first mile, last mile problem. It solve the inconvenience of getting to the train station. The driverless car comes and drops you off. It's all part of the same uh, app that you would... Uh, tap on to get a trip to get you where you want to go. So there, the technology has and, and the change that it could bring could could solve most of the negative sides of our, our transportation system. But it's going to take time, and it's going to take a change in mindset, which is the third thing. Are we willing to take our hands off the steering wheel? Right. <laughs> because we all think we're better drivers than we really are, but I just looked at a day on America's roads for when I was riding door-to-door, every fatal accident in the country. Yep. And they are all, virtually all, caused by bad decisions by human beings who are distracted or drinking or speeding. Those are the three things that kill us. It's not defects in cars. It's not bad road design. It's it's humans really aren't capable of doing what we're asking ourselves to do in in cars, and it's time for that to change. So we're giving them too many options and while, while they're in the car. We're just not good drivers. It's hard for us to do, you know, we're good drivers in spurts, but we all think we can multitask. And it turns out, if you talk to the people at the uh, National Safety Council, they explain very, very vigorously that human brains can do one thing well at one time. And uh, multitasking is just another term for distraction. I guess the I guess the point to tackle then is because since we've seen so many more people move into cities and they talk about the Ubers of the world and and the Lyfts, you know, being able to take care of people within the city, it's being able to maximize that out in the suburbs for the people that are there as well. Yes, well, and that, although you know, the the ride sharing industry has caught on in smaller towns. It's not just big cities. Yep. And, and and the potential for driverless vehicles isn't limited to the urban areas. But yeah, those are the places where, of course, traffic and, and a lot of the negative issues associated with are most intense. So I suppose it's likely that's where we're going to see the technology deployed first. Edward, thank you very much for coming on the show. Unfortunately, we're at the end. Greatly appreciate your time. The book is Door to Door, Edward Humes, The Magnificent, Maddening, Mysterious World of Transportation. Thanks, Ed. Great to have you on the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you, sir. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.